Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We waited for 10 days for this promise to actually be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. It's about 50 days after Um, the resurrection, the beginning of the Passover. And all of these people, Pastor Gary shared with us last week, are in Jerusalem for the feast. They're in Jerusalem, and they're actually being good religious people because this was a religious practice that they were were actually um, uh, putting into play in their lives. And so the religious law said, this is what you have to do. So they were obedient to that law, to the religious law. And it's amazing to me that God used religion to actually, something that was happening in religious practices, to usher in the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And Pastor Gary shared with us last week is they had gathered in the upper room, and we'll look at the practices that they were putting into place to be able to experience the blessings of God. The Holy Spirit shows up. And all of these people, million or so people, had gathered lots of different languages, were um, spoken, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and there appears above their heads like a tongue of fire, and they begin speaking the gospel and presenting Jesus Christ in languages so that everybody could understand. I wish... I wish that I could have been there to watch all the excitement that was happening on that day at the birth of the church and how from that moment forward, God's plan for us to be rooted in him and together would be put in place. But if you look in Acts chapter 2, we're going to continue reading here and we're going to start with the verse where Pastor Gary left off last week in Acts 2 verse 8. Then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phyrega, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and non-converts to Judaism, or in converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue, or language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Then the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me all the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, want, that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we all are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my, or the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And listen, when the people heard this in their own language, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the exciting launch, the birth of the church, where the first message is preached and the people heard it in their own tongue and about 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ and were baptized on that day. We read a huge passage of scripture here and there's a lot that's going on, but what I want to remind you that we're reading about is the church with a capital C and the church is the only thing that will last for all of eternity and you have to know that. The church that of everything that we see here on the earth, what was birthed here in Acts chapter 2 is the only thing that's going to live for all of eternity. 
This world is going to be destroyed one day. It's not going to be used because it was cursed with sin, because sin entered into here. Our bodies are at some point going to give up, and we don't need these bodies any longer. But it's the church, the bride of Christ, that will last for all of eternity. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm going to go prepare this place so I can come back and take you to actually be with me. But in the meantime, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and we see the fulfillment of that promise and the prophecies of old here, so that this church that will live for all of eternity could be birthed and then be taken away to actually be with Jesus Christ. The church will live for eternity. Now, I'm not talking about any earthly institutions. There has never been a church that has launched that has lived forever. Churches, as we see them, like Whitechapel Church or any other church that has ever been built on the face of this earth, it has a beginning date and they have ending dates. We get sad sometimes whenever we see churches close. But it is a natural progression of life as we actually know it. Now, I pray that God still has purpose for us experiencing his blessings so that we as White Chapel can continue for decades and decades to come as we have for the last nine decades. But you know what? The weight of that doesn't rest on us. That rests on God Almighty. He had a purpose for us. And as long as we are accomplishing that purpose, then we can continue to exist. But if we ever get off mission, and if we ever start serving self instead of serving God, and worshiping what we've done instead of worshiping Him, then God will say, it's time to close. Everything has a beginning and it has an end, except the eternal bride of Christ, the church. Now, if we have prepared our souls, and if we have entered into relationship with Jesus Christ, then here's the amazing thing. We are a part of that church. We are a part of that bride because it is eternal. And if we've made that preparation, then we too will be able to live for all of eternity. I want our church to stay alive. I desire for us to be vital and vibrant. But in order for that to happen, we have to be committed to making sure that that's exactly what happens here at Whitechapel Church. It doesn't happen by accident. And here the 12 apostles and the early church are giving us several things that we have to look at and be committed to so that we ensure that we are a church that is alive, that we are a church that is vibrant, and we are a church that is vital to this community and the assignments that God has actually given to us. But whenever a church dies, those people stop doing the things that God created the church to do. And here at the birth of the church, we see several of those things actually being put together. Have you ever asked yourself this question that I put on the screen this morning? What keeps a church alive? What is it that keeps a church alive? Now, we could probably stop for a few minutes and break out into groups, and we could come up with several answers. 
And I think that some of us would say, well, the church can be alive as long as people are giving to the church and we have enough money to actually keep the lights on and we keep the, 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 uh, the building open and we've got everything up and going. So that would probably be one of our answers of what keeps the church alive. Well, what if we've got all the resources in the world and the church is still dead and God desires for that church to actually close? We could probably go a little bit deeper and what is it that keeps the, the church alive? Well, there's, there's a group of people that believe in Jesus Christ. Is, is that what keeps the church alive? We had the privilege um, this last summer of being able to go to Missouri, and we spent um, some of our vacation in Missouri. We did several things that were in Missouri, and I finally got into that age to where whenever we go home, I like to drive around and remember what used to be. Any of, any of you that way, if you, if you live in some, if you don't live here and you live in a faraway place? And um, Melissa always reminds me, you told us that the last time we were here. You told us that the last time we were here. I know that that's the house that you grew up in because every time we've been married for coming up on 19 years and every time we drive by that house, you tell me that that was the house that you grew up in or this was your grandparents' house and this is the house you came home from the hospital and they threw your bottle out the window later on. You know, all of those stories, you know, I tell them over and over and over and over. But one of the things that I love to drive by is the church where I was saved. It's the first church of God in Lilburn, Missouri. And all of the ups and all of the downs in the church um, that I grew up in, the building is still there. But when we drove by this last time, I had gotten word, um, I know the, the state pastor, and he had sent me a message and said, hey, just want you to be aware of this, for whatever reason, I don't know. But when I went by the church this last time, the church was closed. And it broke my heart because it was the church. It means so much to me. It was the church where I was saved. And I, I can still to this day take you to that room where I was saved. And it, was, it wasn't on a Sunday morning. It was on a Sunday afternoon. The Lord spoke to me in the service. And I began asking questions. And before church on Sunday evening, the pastor and his wife took me off in a room. And it was in that room where I knelt and I gave my life to Christ. I can still take you to that room. But the church is closed. It was the church where at 15 years old, I preached my first sermon because I had a pastor who poured into my life and he showed me what that was and he recognized the call of God on my life and said, I want to prepare you for the future. That church means so much to our family, but it's closed. You know what? We have to have an answer to this question. If we're going to be a part of a body of believers where we're rooted together, we're rooted in Jesus Christ, and we are together, then we have to know what keeps a church alive because there have been some amazing churches that have closed. And it has to grieve our hearts whenever we see people pour into a place and God do an amazing work in a, in a group of believers that are united together in one local body and a congregation, but then it closes. I could tell you lots of reasons why the church that I grew up in closed. But I want to instead focus on what keeps a church alive. And there's one answer. It's God's presence. It's God's presence. Several, well, it's been quite a few years ago, I realized, I came to the realization that the church is not about me. Because if it was up to me, I would do things a whole lot different. I 
would structure this way, or I would do this, or we would meet like this, or we would do all kinds of different things. But we have to know what keeps the church alive. And what keeps the church alive is not me, and it's not you. The church is not dependent upon us, except for in one area, that's pursuing the presence of God and what he wants to do in us and through us, united and rooted together. It's the presence of God that keeps the church alive. Now, we could go back and we could study in the Old Testament about the Old Testament temple and how God's presence was there, and we could look at all of that. But here's the beautiful thing. Because of what happened in Acts 2, we're not living in that covenant any longer. We are living in this covenant, in this church age. So we have to be people that intentionally pursue the presence of God. So let me share you two things, two short things here before we get into these things that were present in the church. To stay in God's presence, we must continue doing the things that he told the church to do. So if it's God's presence that keeps the church alive, then we have to do the things that they were doing here in the early church that ushered in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And then we get to this amazing message that Peter preached, and if you look at what he did, he addressed the Holy Spirit, because this was new. These people that had gathered for the feast actually were new. It was new for everyone, not just the people that gathered for the feast. It was the newness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the arrival of the Holy Spirit that launched the church, that brought back the presence of God to his people that he desired for it to be in creation. And we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And so God now again is with his people and his people were doing intentional things that ushered in the presence of God. And then, and then we have to do everything we can to stay in God's presence and not get out on our own and say, hey, look at what I did in giving to the church or look at what I did in giving my gifts to the church and all of this happened. Listen, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us And because God chose us, then we have to be intentional about staying in his presence and not abandoning him and getting out on our own. So what is it, what is it that the early church was doing? They were just seeking his presence, seeking the presence of God. I think I messed these up because I set them up as one, two, three, and four, so Here's the blessing. You get all four of them in one. You want me to pray and we can go home now? You can read them later? That wasn't funny. (laughs) I was hoping you were going to say, no, please keep going. All right. Um, Lessons from the birth of the early church. This is how I believe we can see what happened here in the early church and apply them to our life so that we remain in the presence of God. If you If you take notes, today's the day to take notes. If you don't take notes, today's the day to take notes. Because I want to ask you to write these four things, and I want to ask you to be committed to these four things. Because we see them here at the launch of the early church. We see them carried out through the book of Acts, 
And then whenever they got off track, they came back to these four things and then were committed to these four things that continued the move of God through his presence. The first is we have to be a people that were committed to prayer because it is prayer that provides God's power. I'm going to leave these up for you um, so that you can jot these down. But it's important for us to remember it's prayer that provides God's power. So we have to figure out how do we get God's power in our lives, in the life of our family, and in the life of our church? How is it that we get that? Well, it's only through prayer. We have to be a people that are committed to prayer. So take a look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. And he listed everything out. You will receive power. Well, we've got to figure out how is it that we get that power. Now, these were Jesus' words. If you have a Bible that's a red letter edition that puts Jesus' words in red, these words were in red. And so here this power is intentional. It's purposeful. It has meaning, and God wants to use it in your life. And so we have to figure out how do we get the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what was it the disciples were actually doing? Take a look at Acts 1, verse 14. In verse 14, this is what it said they were doing. Now remember, we've gone back to Acts 1. This is before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But we need to see what happened in the birth of the church so that we can apply it here in Whitechapel Church. Acts 1.14, here's our first clue. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly, they joined together in prayer. Now, Jesus had just told them a few verses earlier what he was going to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you're going to receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's going to be totally different, and I'm going to birth the only thing that will live for all of eternity. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. And then a few verses later, in Acts 1.14, they were joining together constantly in prayer. The early church, before they received the power of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, they were a people that were committed to prayer. Because prayer is what ushers in the power of God through his presence. There is a direct connection between power and prayer. Now, I know what happens to some of us in 2022. We can say the disciples gathered together in the upper room some 2,000 or so years earlier, and they did not have mobile phones, right? Could you imagine what that gathering would look like in the upper room today? Have you ever gone into a restaurant or even gone into a library nowadays? Look at what people are doing. They're sitting around on their mobile phones. And they're so consumed with what is in their hand and the power that's there that they're missing the world go by. Could you imagine what it would have been like today? Today, if God chose this moment to launch the church and there were 120 of us sitting in the upper room and there was Wi-Fi and internet, <laughs> okay, I won't say about any of you. I'll tell you about our family. The three days we were without power a few weeks ago, oh my goodness, it was horrible. <laughs> you know why? We didn't have internet. 
We didn't have Wi-Fi. And then I tried to justify it and say, oh, I just want to check the weather. I want to see, is this storm past us? Or is there any more effects of this storm coming? And we had to, act, and then the cell phone service was down, right? You could sometimes get through, you could sometimes not. No one could call. Every other text or every five or six text messages were actually coming through. It was crazy what was taking place. But you know what? The disciples weren't distracted from anything or by anything. They were totally committed. It's Acts 1.14. They were totally committed to what God was going to do in prayer. Now, I know we say, well, I just don't have time for prayer. I just don't have time for prayer. But you know what? You're never going to have time for prayer. You have to make time to pray. Here a while back, uh, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago, Abby was saying that she didn't have time for something. And we had had the time for that same thing. And I said, well, you had the exact same number of seconds and minutes that we did. It's the exact same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. You can't make more time, but you can make time for that which you prioritize. And the early church saw the power of the presence of God in the Holy Spirit because they made time for prayer. You know what? You're never going to have enough time for prayer. But if you're committed to it, you'll have time. You may, not, you may say, well, you know what? I just don't feel like it. I, don't, I just don't, I'm just kind of blah today, right? Well, when are you ever going to feel good? When are you ever going to have enough time? When are you ever going to feel like, yep, now's the time? Never. That's why we sang this morning, wake up my soul. <laughs> you have to tell yourself, I'm going to be committed to prayer. And then you have to keep that commitment because the enemy is going to do everything he can to steal your time and to steal your energy so that prayer, the direct connection to the power of the presence of God, is severed in your life. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Where do you lack power in your life? Where do you lack power in your life? For some of us, it might be some some family members that were dealing with some issues. For some of us, it might be in finances. For some of us, it might be in some other physical means that we have in our life. If you're lacking power in any of those things, then those have to be the things that you take to the Lord in prayer so that those things will be able to experience the power of the presence of God in their lives. You know what? There were here in Acts chapter 2 that Pastor Gary shared with us last week on this feast and this uh, the, uh, Pentecost, about a million people that showed up in Jerusalem. None of those people arrived with the power of the presence of God in their lives. But because there was a group of about 120 people or so that in Acts chapter 1, 14, gathered together, committed continuously in prayer, about 3,000 or so left with the power of the presence of God in their lives. Because there was a group of people that were committed to prayer. So Whitechapel Church, this morning, I'm asking you to commit to prayer. And it starts at home with just you and the Lord.
Would you commit to prayer? Because I think the 3,000 that got saved here in the book of Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached the first sermon after the birth of the church, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's just a drop in the bucket of what God wants to do to transform people's lives by giving them the power of his presence. Would you be committed to prayer? Would you be committed to an Acts 1, chapter 14 type of prayer? Do you know why we enjoy the privilege of sitting in this building every Sunday morning? Because there were a group of people who gathered in what's now the Berkwist Chapel that were committed to the power of God's presence in prayer. We have an amazing prayer legacy at this church. And we can't let that die in 2022. It has to be renewed in 2022. So that the miracles that this church can testify to, that God performed in the past, are not just things that we look at in the past, but they are things that we expect every time that we gather together. This past Thursday was our state minister's meeting. We gathered together at Crossings Church in Sanford. And there were a few pastors that shared testimony of how Florida Ministries had invested in their lives. One of the pastors stood up, um, and she, um, because of a number of uh, medical issues in her life, um, had walked with a walker and with a cane and constantly with a, li- with a, with a limp. She wasn't able to walk without the cane. But she had been spending some time in prayer together with God, devoted time experiencing the presence of God through the power of prayer. And she said, God spoke to her and said, I'm going to heal you. And he told her to put down the cane. And then instead of going to be prayed for at one of our gatherings, God said, I want you to go pray that other people would get healed, but leave your cane in your chair. She walked up there. And you know what? God did exactly that in her life. But you know why God spoke to her? Because she was living an Acts 1.14 life. She was committed to experiencing the power of the presence of God in prayer. And God healed her. We've heard countless stories here in our history of Whitechapel Church of people who have been physically healed because there were people committed to prayer What changed? What changed? We have to get back to being an Acts 114 people and being a people that are committed to God in prayer. Here, when Peter preaches a sermon starting in Acts chapter 214, there's power in Peter's words. There's power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's words. Why were there power? Because Peter was leading a group of people that were committed to spending time with God in prayer. And let me tell you, I know it starts with me. If I'm not committed to it, no one else will be committed to it. And I'm asking you to join me in that commitment to being a people that are committed to the power of prayer. So the next, next thing here, um, number two here. Um, this one is one that I really wrestled with. I mean, Pastor Gary shared a little bit about it um, with us, but as he was speaking last week, it hit me. Um, Here in Acts chapter 2, 
we see all of the people that are gathered, and we went through as we were reading from Acts chapter, um, chapter 2, verse 8, all the way up to verse 13. They're laid out, the variety of different people that are gathered there. And then the gospel was preached and heard in each one of their languages. I don't know if it was preached in their language. I know it was heard in their actual language. But as I wrestled with this, I was like, what is it that God is actually doing in this? What is, what is actually taking place where we've got all these variety of languages and they're actually gathered? And I felt a push by God, as Pastor Gary was speaking last week, that we have to begin to use the language of other people. And so as I wrestled with this, I got to thinking, like, what is it that it means for us to use the language of other people? Well, notice what God's focus is in this moment. God was reaching absolutely everybody. So that no one was left out. And we actually see the fulfillment of the prophet of Joel, uh, the words of God from the prophet of Joel, actually being fulfilled. So that everybody is actually reached. And there was nobody. And we'll look at Joel here in just a minute. Um, But no one was left out from this. What does it mean to use the language of other people? And I want you to catch this. As I wrestle with God, I feel that this is what God actually said to me this week. God has placed you at Whitechapel Church because you speak the language of somebody that's not here that he desires to come and experience his presence. So what do I mean by that? I don't mean English, Spanish, German, French, or so forth. Not some type of an actual language. I think it can better be said by relating to somebody. You use the language or you relate to somebody else. You know what? You can reach people that somebody else would never be able to reach. Those people that you have a relationship with, why do you think God placed them in your life? It's not for you. It's for him. Now, there may be times that God uses them in your life. I'm not saying that that's not how God works, because that is how God works. However, God has placed those people in your life because you have a relationship. You can relate to them. You speak their language, and you may be, this quote, the only Jesus that somebody else would ever be able to see. So who do you have relationship with? Who do you have relationship with? You speak their language. You can relate to those people. Maybe it's somebody at your job. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody that you know that actually lives in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody that you encounter in sports. Or maybe it's in art or in music or some type of other cultural means. Or maybe it's somebody in retirement or in a hobby or whatever. You can speak their language. You relate to them. And God has them in your life because he wants to bring the power of his presence into their life and you are the means or the vehicle that he intends to use. In the same way that that was happening here on on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter stands up and he preaches this amazing sermon relating to all of these people. And 3,000 people or so give their life to Jesus Christ. Hear me. God put you in this church family to reach somebody outside of this church family that nobody else can. 
And you know what we actually see taking place here on the day of Pentecost when Peter stands up and he's preaching to all of these people? We saw in verse 8 to verse 13 the multitude of the different types of people that gathered. It was a multicultural experience. And God was using a group of people to reach everybody that he wanted to actually hear the gospel. I pray that our church would be a multicultural church in the way that the early church is here. But you know what? Whenever we focus on ourselves, we miss what God wants to do in other people. You see, the 11 and the other 100 and, or the 12 and then the 120 did not stand up here on the day of Pentecost and say, "Hey, listen, this is all I know to speak, and so I'm just going to do it my way or based on my tradition or based on what I'm doing. No, they allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to enter into their lives so that they could speak the language, the heart language of the other people that had gathered there on the day of Pentecost. And they said, we are going to relate to these other people, and we are going to share the gospel. Just simply say, God, take me and use me. However you want, whatever you want to do, and wherever you want, that's what I want you to do. You see, if you are a people that are committed to the power of prayer, then self will always take the back seat, and the presence of God takes the front seat, and then what my needs are, if they're not being met in this moment, that's okay, because I've got the power of the presence of God in my life. Now, did the church have cultural issues? Absolutely. And we're going to get into those as we go through the book of Acts. But you know, when the cultural issues became a problem was when they stopped focusing on the presence of God. And then they were arguing over so many different things. So many different things they argued about in the early church. But those arguments took priority above the presence of God. If we're a people that are committed to experiencing the presence of God in prayer, then we can become a multicultural church. Then we can be just like they experienced here in the book of Acts, where everybody had a part, and the church reached everybody. But here's what you have to catch. It's number three, you have a role. You have a role. So I want you to say this with me, and I hate when speakers do this, so I'm going to do it this morning. <laughs> I want you to say, after I do, I have a role, all right? I have a role in the church, in the church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And to prove it, Peter goes back and he takes scripture from the prophet of Joel. Take a look at Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. If you are somebody that writes in your Bible, then I want to encourage you to write in your Bible. It's okay. You've got permission from me. Follow along. And I'm going to tell you what I want you to, to write or what, what I want you to circle. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days... From the moment Jesus ascended to heaven, we were in the last days. This is the last days segment of the church. And so we're living in the last days. If anybody comes to you and says, we're, are we living in the last days? Yes, we're living in the last days. Because the prophet Joel said, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely. The prophet said it. 
Peter repeated it at the birth of the church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Circle the word all people. All people. Do you know what that means? You have a role. God wants to use you. This concept or this idea that we're only used and then discarded is an American concept or an American idea. God doesn't discard us. He keeps us for all of eternity. God has a role for you today. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. There are not some of us that should have the Holy Spirit and some of us that should not have the Holy Spirit. The prophet said, or God actually said it through the prophet Joel, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. So circle all people and remind the enemy that you are an all people from the prophet Joel that God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on. And when the enemy tries to rob you of time and he tries to rob you of power, then go back to your commitment to prayer and say, I am filled with the presence of God. My body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God because I am a fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Joel. All people. So circle all people. So then the next one here at the second half of Acts 2.17. Your son's and your daughters will prophesy. Circle the word sons and daughters. Now, the enemy wants to attack us on gender, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but we could go back to the beginning of the scripture, and we see God created male and female. God spoke through the prophet, and he said, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. And it's interesting to me that he said this after he used all people, and then he categorized us into two parts. That's a sermon for another day. Circle the word sons and daughters. Circle the word sons and daughters. Because this is important for us. And as we see the early church begin to be birthed, this was not a church who was only shaped by male leaders. There were some women leaders that were in that were a part of this as well, that began to prophesy begin to be deaconesses, and we'll look at some of those as we go through the book of Acts. But the interesting thing is, everybody can receive the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, all people, and then he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Let's keep going. Your young men will see, see visions. Circle the word young men. Now, Peter does not give us an asterisk here in his sermon that we can come down in the footnotes here and see what young men actually is. What is young men? Is it under 40? Is it under 50? I don't know. But he doesn't leave out the old men either. Because in the next part he says, your old men will dream dreams. Circle young men and circle old men. Because that includes everybody. You're either young or you're old. And you know what I've learned? Your body will tell you which one you are. You'll know. You don't have to ask, you don't have to go to the doctor, and you don't have to look up definitions. Another way to tell is between dreams and visions. We could debate what the classification of the two are, but here's the beautiful thing. It's a reminder for us that God wants to use you. And listen, if God can use a donkey to speak to somebody, then surely God can use us today, right? 
It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're male. It doesn't matter if you're female. If God chooses to use you, let him use you. But this is what I do know. You have a role. You just have to sit with God in an Acts 1.14 style of being constantly committed to prayer so that you figure out how God wants to use you. I can't tell you how God wants to use you. Nobody else can tell you how God wants to use you. God himself wants to tell you. Now, there are times when we get so hard-headed, God uses somebody else in our life. But I pray that you don't get to the place of being hard-headed and turning off the power of the presence of God, that you hear God speak directly to you on how he wants to use you. You have a role in the church. And here, in the birth of the church, we see God begin to use young people, old people, men, and women alike. God is moving through his spirit. Will you let him move and use you as well? And the last thing that you have to know, and I'm sorry I've gone a little bit too long here, so we're going to wrap up really quick. They were devoted to knowing God's word. They were devoted to knowing God's word. We could go back and we could look at the end of Acts 1. I'll let you do this. I've got the Psalms written down. Peter quoted three Psalms. Three Psalms. You know what that tells me? Peter knew God's word. Whenever we get to the sermon, after the Holy Spirit comes, do you know what happened? Peter goes right to the prophet Joel. Do you know what that tells me? Peter knew God's word. If we want to be a church that is alive, a church that is vibrant, a church that is vital and experiencing the work of God, then we have to be a people that are committed to prayer. We have to be a people that includes everybody. We have to be a people who serve in a role. And we have to be a people that are devoted to knowing God's word. So again, just like with prayer, there are going to be days where you do not have time and there are going to be days that you do not feel like it. And you have to be committed to experience the power of God's presence in your life that you're going to say to your body and you're going to say to your soul and your mind is going to overcome everything in your life and you're going to say, I have time and I do feel like it because this is what is vital for my role in the one thing that will live for all eternity. That's the bride of Christ. We have to be a people that are committed to the word of God because I believe the church that God blesses is a church that is built upon the foundation of his word. It's not self-help. It's not self-interest. It's not a great counselor. It is the truth and only the truth that will set us free. And so if we are not committed to his word, then we may as well give up and we may as well go home. Because all throughout the early church, whenever there was a problem, what did they do? They sat with God in prayer and they went to his word. Every single time, if you want power in your life, you have to be a person that is committed to prayer and you have to be a person that is committed to God's word. Peter said when he was preaching his sermon, this is that which was spoken by the word, uh, spoken by the prophet. He knew God's word. It was in his heart. He had prepared long before the moment arrived. He put it in his heart and God dug it up and he used it. You have to know the word of God. So this is what I ask you. 
Would you write these four things down and would you be committed to them? Because this is how the early church experienced the blessings of God. This is what changed the world as we know it. These four things. There are some other things that we'll begin talking about as we continue going through the book of Acts. But would you be committed to these four things? Would you find place in your life for these four things? Find time. And I promise you, you will experience a life that is changed by the presence of God's Spirit. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.